for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. Thrilled to be joined today by a couple of absolute rock stars from the class of 2018. Another story of great friendship developed at the radio station. And uh, there's so many things to list. We have Matt Gehring, who runs MTV's Instagram and is looked up to by the current students, as you may have heard in previous episodes. We have Sam Candell, who is the banquet chairperson, the senior producer, editor, and YouTube manager for SNY. Uh, she is a former GM. He is a former PD of WJPC. Welcome both of you to the show. Thank you. I mean, I feel like we've been looking forward to this day for a long time. Yeah, thanks for having us. So I start with uh, everybody. I'll start at the same place with you. Uh, we'll start with you, Sam. How did you end up finding Syracuse and then WJPZ? Well, that's a fun story. I always sound like a jerk when I say this, but Syracuse is my backup school. <laughs> well, okay, what was your what was your goal, school? So my dad went to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and that was my dream school from the age of four, I would say. Okay. And through a long series of events, um, I ended up getting waitlisted for the second semester of my freshman year. So I said, I don't really want to do that. I visited Syracuse. I wanted to pick an ACC school so that I could see Carolina play once a year. (laughs) And so I said, all right, I'll I'll settle for Syracuse. That sounds like a, a good second choice. And that's why I picked Syracuse. Like, I didn't really know much about the communications program. I just picked it because it was an ACC school. (laughs) Wow. I did not know that about you. Yeah. And how did you find the radio station when you got there? Uh, This gentleman right beside us. Ha. All right. So let's turn it over to you, Matt. First, how did you find Syracuse? And then how did you find the radio station? Sure. Well, I like to think that Sam and I have a lot of things in common, but one thing we certainly don't is how we went to Syracuse. (laughs) It was definitely the school that I had my eyes set on for at least two years before applying. Applied early decision, knew I wanted to go to the Newhouse School, got in, thankfully, because I did not even really have a backup plan. (laughs) And the summer before going to Syracuse, I just got really invested in the radio industry. I like to say that I was a bit of a Fifth Harmony super fan, a harmonizer, if you will. Yep. I was I was the kid that was calling uh, 92.3 now back in the day in New York City, 94.5 PST with Rashad. Mm -hmm. I really was that fan who was calling in and requesting songs as like a 16, 17 year old. The older alumni are thrilled to hear you say that, by the way, Matt, because that's the truth of so many like 90s and 2000s alums. And to know that that spirit still lives on is encouraging. I mean, as a 16 year old, I was like on the media based website looking up (laughs) which radio stations to call because they hadn't added Fifth Harmony's latest single. So I really was that level of radio nerd before even getting to Q's. Oh, God, you were probably somebody who was tweeting me in Detroit asking me, how come you haven't added work from home yet? I can almost guarantee that I was. <laughs> uh, I know that I was tweeting Rashad. But I, on Accepted Students Day, saw Z89 tabling, and I heard what the product sounded like and immediately knew that the second I got to Q's, I was going to join uh, Sam happened to be two doors down on my freshman year floor, Yep, knocked on her door, and the rest is history. I dragged her along to the general interest meeting and 
we were a pair from that day forward. As I remember it, Matt, like he said, knocked on my door with his roommate and did the the classic freshman like, hi, I'm Matt. I live two doors down. We're going around knocking on doors, uh, trying to meet people. And we became, like Matt said, fast friends. And I remember him saying to me, quote, I want to be the next Ryan Seacrest. Let's go join the radio station. <laughs> that was the goal. That's how we ended up at Z. Um, so thank you, Matt. <laughs> what floor were you guys on freshman year? Boland 8. Excellent. So you trek all the way up to the station from Boland. What's the extent of your involvement and how do you end up rising through the ranks at the radio station? So we ended up going to the station. I originally went to join the sports department because I, like I said, ACC school wanted to get into sports. Um, and I walked up and it was just a, a big group of gentlemen who were a little intimidating and talking about a lot of statistics. <laughs> and they told me that I had to write in order to get on air. And once I heard the word write, I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I beelined it around and went and learned about the music side of the station, which is where Matt wanted to be. And I said, all right, I'll try this. You know, I was a really shy kid. So for me, signing up for radio and having to talk to people on air was slightly terrifying. I no one believes when I say I'm shy now because I'm so outspoken. You're probably looking at the look on my face right now. When you said you're shy, I'm like, Sam, what? Really? Yeah, I was that kid that, you know, when I would get dropped off at kindergarten, would cry for an hour because my mom was gone. Yeah. Like, I definitely liked having a partner in things, which is why Matt convincing me to come to, to Z was really what I needed freshman year was, was someone that was outspoken and knew what they wanted to do. And so it was nice to to find that person right away to get me going. And so we joined the music department and did training and signed up for the last shift that was left, which was 4 to 6 a.m. on Friday mornings. And Matt and I would trek from Bowie at 3.30 in the morning over to, uh, to Watson to do our 4 to 6 a.m. shift. And we were rough in the beginning. <laughs> oh, rough is is pretty generous <laughs> we were listening to our clips last night and uh yeah we used to script out word for word everything we were going to say for you know a whole two minute break every word scripted and listening back you can hear that you can hear it was all scripted are you willing to share any of that audio with the audience what yeah i think we could do that oh i have no shame you're listening to Your Party Station Z89. I'm Matt Gehring. And I'm Samantha Candell. And this is your early morning way to wake up. It's cold again today. 39 degrees. I mean, I was saying to Matt, listening to that and then listening to our final Z Morning Zoo together, it was just wild to hear how far we'd come, how much better we sounded, how much more conversational we were and how comfortable we were behind microphones where... In the beginning, yeah, we were scripted and rigid and sounded like we were trying to be radio people with our radio voices. And so we came a long way. It is time to learn about one another. Sam, how you doing? On a scale of one to ten this morning, I'm like a solid three. But I promise you, by the end, I'll be at a four. Who were some of the folks that were there at the radio station that were leading the radio station when the two of you got there that you learned from? That were a couple of years ahead of you. Uh, so we trained actually under Ali Gold. Mm -hmm. um, Joey Costco is the PD. And I think we really have to credit Jeff Kirkjian because it was, I believe, our spring semester of our freshman year. 
that Jeff was like, hey, I got some spots on Z Morning Zoo and you guys are a pair. So come just try it out. And we tried it out. And really from the first day, um, our lead host was JP. Uh, we were also with Kat Brady. Mm-hmm. And JP was just the perfect coach to really make us natural on air. Yeah. And when I first joined, like I said, through this whole journey, I was just along for the ride. And so I never planned to get this involved. I never planned to go on a Z Morning Zoo. I wanted to be a video editor. That was always my dream. That was always what I wanted to do. I love storytelling. And so the radio station just kept sucking me in and sucking me in. And like Matt said, we we shadowed a zoo and Matt joined exec very early, right? You ran first semester? Oh, yeah. I was the acclaimed position of research director. Well, you say that a little facetiously, Matt, but there are so many PDs and GMs that were research director because they just wanted to get involved. And is it the most glamorous job? No, but you get involved with that. That kind of gets your foot in the door with exec and work your way up. So you are following in a lot of great footsteps in that role. It is an honor. I think you're totally right. It's one of those positions where, yeah, it's not glamorous. So the only people who are really going to apply are the people who want to be involved. And, you know, it's also what you make of it. I definitely was like, you know what? We need to bring like our ratings back. We need to actually see the impact we're having in central New York. Mm -hmm. And it was really fun to do that. So what are some of the things you did as research director? Really just brought back those ratings. Um, That's what I remember the major thing was. At that point, Stephen Cranin was GM. Mm -hmm. So we would work together figuring out, you know, what's our best looking ratings. Turn that over to the VP of business and try to actually, you know, Sell some spots. So, Sam, how did you get involved with exec staff? So, this is a great story. Oh, no, I have chills already. (laughs) Not a lot of people know this story, but it's iconic, so I will share. Again, no interest in being part of exec staff. I had landed a job at um, the Orange Television Network Mm -hmm. as their on-staff editor, and I got some cash money to do that. Ah. So, I was focused on that. And actually, it was Stephen Cranin who said to me, you know, I really think you'd be gone exec. We have a couple positions open. I think you should apply to be legal director. And I guess maybe I told him my dad was an attorney. I don't know. Ah, it's in your blood. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, sure, I'll apply. And he's like, yeah, you know, I don't see any, you know, problems getting your application through. Like, it should be pretty quick. Just send me a cover letter, send me a resume, and, you know, we'll make it happen. And he didn't tell me how the process works of the WJPZ election, where they meet as an exec staff and read your cover letter aloud to the group, discuss whether or not you seem qualified for the job, and then vote. And so I wrote a BS cover letter that said, (laughs) you know, I am the law, like... I eat, breathe, sleep the law. Yeah, (laughs) the law is my bitch. (laughs) I totally made up this, this... fade cover letter because he told me, oh, you'll be a shoo-in, no problem. And I'll let Matt take the story from there because he was in the room when said cover letter was spoken since he was already on the executive staff. It was not taken as a joke. Well, it was taken as Sam thinks this is a joke. And of course, legal director is an important position. So there was there was some opposition to Sam's uh, involvement on exec staff. I believe that you didn't make it in right away and you had to rewrite it. I got put on probation. I got admitted, but I got immediately put on probation to make sure that I could do this job. There's irony in a legal director being placed on probation. I know. And and so after that, fast forward, when I became GM, I explained to everyone when they interviewed 
how the process worked and where things went after you submitted said cover letter that's read to everyone. So I made sure to not let anyone make that mistake. One of many lessons learned in the world's greatest media classroom. Matt, were you having to defend your buddy's honor here in this exec meeting? Say, no, she's serious. Like she'd be really good at this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when Sam talks about, you know, she she needed a buddy to be able to join Z or join exec staff. I'm also a really shy person. And what? I, I needed a buddy, too. I mean, I definitely, you know, give me five seconds and I'm really talkative and, and I'll make friends with anyone. But to take that first step, I needed Sam like every step of the way. And it was really important to me that she that she made exec. You know, I was able to provide some context. Like, I think this is where, you know, the lines got crossed a little applying to exec. But I was really glad once she got there. So you're both on exec staff. And Matt, you kind of rose to the ranks to become program director, right? Yeah. So actually, this might be our, uh, I don't know, villain origin story. (laughs) So it comes time. uh, Steven has his one year reign, does a fantastic job. And it's time for a new GM. And what better than the pair that is rising through the ranks to both apply for GM? Ah, we both do it. Sam beats me out. No hard feelings. And uh, it was I remember told to me by the station's board of directors. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you as PD. So I took that as a hint. It's time to run for PD. If you had become GM, what would Sam have done with, to stay on the exec staff? Would you would you have gone for PD or is that not something you would have been interested in? Um, that is a really good question because I know I would not have been a good PD. Okay. Because Matt, like he said in the beginning, was a music guy. Yeah. Like he studied this stuff. He knew this stuff like the back of his hand. I'm a logistics person. You know, I'm good at organization. I'm good at team building And so if Matt had beaten me out, I don't know, maybe I would have done it just to work with Matt, honestly, and to be involved because there were people, you know, pushing me to get more involved. But I don't know how that story would have played out. Could you have seen yourself as maybe like a VP of business or Mm -hmm. I know we're playing what ifs here, but I'm just kind of. I know. What's interesting is I think I probably would have been best at VP of ops. But when we were students, at least during that part of it, VP of Ops wasn't really that popular. It wasn't really a thing. The first two years we had been at the station, there wasn't a VP of Ops. Oh, okay. We just operated uh, (laughs) willy-nilly. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I I don't know what would have happened. I know I was so terrified when I went into that interview because, you know, you're 19 years old, you walk into a room of all these adults and and whatnot, and you're just basically trying to tell them that as a 19-year-old, you're qualified to run this 150, 200-person radio station. And Josh Wolf always tells this story. Josh was really the motivating factor in getting me to run and to also succeed as, as GM because I bugged him nonstop asking him questions. But he said that the best part of my interview was when they asked me his stereotypical question, you know, this is a a job that you don't get paid for. Why do you want to do it? And I said what I felt, which is what I, I wanted to give back. Like I had grown so much in that first year and a half of being at the station, just, you know, growing out of my shell and making great friends and feeling comfortable. And I wanted to give that to new students who gave that to me when I first got there. And so that's, I guess, what pushed my application over. And I think I did that as, and without Matt by my side, you know, I didn't have to worry about anything programming wise. I mean, he had the whole shit on lock. Like, right. Oh, sorry, Kirst. You can, it's a podcast. It's fine. 
as you both know, Josh and I are, are very close. Josh stood up in my wedding, and Josh has told me that story too, Sam, that of all the years he's worked with the radio station, that that was probably the best answer he's ever heard to that question for a GM. So I think I speak for all of us when I say we're really glad you took the GM interview a lot more seriously than you took your legal director cover letter. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was a lot more nervous for that one than the legal director one. I've never told anyone this, but I went into the GM interview and I said, I am the GM. I eat, breathe, sleep <laughs> the GM role. <laughs> but honestly, like looking back at it, I do agree that it all worked out the way it was supposed to work out. I don't yeah. think that I would have been as good of a GM. I'm not as personable one-on-one -on -one with people. And I think that, you know, Sam and I just kind of work as a duo really well. We know our lanes. We know what the other person is better at. Um, and like she said, we didn't really have to worry about what the other person was doing. We kind of just, you know, made it work on our own side. Well, speaking of that, you know, you mentioned Stephen Crane and you mentioned Ali Gold. You mentioned a lot of people that came before you. Talk to me about the importance of cultivating that atmosphere. And you mentioned in your GM interview, Sam, of making people feel welcome and getting them involved with the radio station as they're coming in and joining. What was that like for you as the two of you were a VP and GM and um, running the station? Yeah, I think um, the first place we started was with our kids, Ariel, Shruti, Ankita, Alyssa, and Hannah Butler. Love that you called them your kids, by the way. Yes, they, well, they call us mom and dad, so it would be- <laughs> To this day. It would be rude if we didn't call them our kids. <laughs> <laughs> We've disowned them. No. No. But they were, what, a mixture of our peer advisors and peer advisor, or their friends, and so we, we started with them kind of making our little circle of trust, if you will. And once we became GM and PD, we got them involved on exec. And I think the main thing we did was we were just around. Mm -hmm. Like we wanted to be present. I know Matt had a goal of meeting every single person at the station while he was PD, which I thought was fantastic because that was something that because he was around on the computer scheduling music, like he could chit chat with people and talk. And make new friends. Why are you playing this song every single hour? You get, I'm sure you got a lot of that, right, Matt? Oh, all the time. And I'm like, well, because you're only here for one hour and you got to hear that song while you're here. Spoken like a program director. Look at that. I think we were just approachable. I think that was the big thing. And we tried to have social events so that people could hang out with one another. We tried to make the newsroom like a social hour and that you could just come in and eat your lunch or do your homework and chit chat with whoever was around. I think that was the main thing we did. Absolutely. I mean, it was my social circle. I didn't join Greek Life. I didn't join a lot of other organizations. This was my social circle. This was my college party station. Yeah. I mean, like pretty much every party I went to in college was a Z party. Yep. Um, and we sure knew how to throw them. But I also look at something Sam did right from the beginning when it was us in charge and we were having to recruit a new class of students. The station was not that big at the time, mm -hmm. I think largely because of the studio renovations that had happened in the years beforehand. So if you guys were 2018, you came in in 2014, the renovation had happened in 2012, the staff was still getting rebuilt at that point. Exactly. I, I mean, I think that it was really hard to recruit people when there was not like a great physical station. Uh, so now that there was, we were kind of in our rebuilding phase. But also at the same time, I think we were coming up in QS at a time where not as many people really wanted to do radio for a living. Mm -hmm. We had to approach it more as, yes, we're going to be a professional station, but we're also going to be a hobby for people that might not want to do this because of the skills you're going to gain, like Sam's talked about. 
Uh, so Sam approached it and went straight out to pretty much every single college at Syracuse. She was like, all right, Whitman business students, we need business people, but you could also be on air. Uh, you know, high school, folk school, every school she reached out to and she somehow got on a listserv for all of them. And when we had our general interest meeting, I just remember the room being packed. And I remember feeling panic in that moment of like, not everyone's going to make it on air. <laughs> we have too many people, but it was a good problem to have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any other significant events that you feel like you were part of that the station went through while you were either there or running the joint? Well, I think the biggest thing that we kind of jump started was the road to the new antenna mm -hmm. that was brought to me by Alex and Tex basically saying, we need this new piece of equipment, get the money. And I was like, <laughs> okay. I made the budget that year. And funny enough, I shattered my laptop screen about a day and a half before the budget was due because I was so excited to leave a class that I slammed my computer oh. shut and the zipper of my case was in between the two screens oh. and I opened up my computer and the whole thing was beautiful colors. Oh. <laughs> And so the next day I skipped class and sat in my GM office for the entire day finishing the budget, finished that up. And when I went in to explain the budget to another group of students that were in charge of determining whether or not we got our money, they were like, so this is a pretty big expense for this antenna. Why do you need it? And I just remember spitting off a bunch of stuff that I remember Alex and Tex telling me of why we needed it. Like, oh, it's been a long time and something about the reach and yada yada, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, sounds good. And I was like, wow, convince, convincing students is pretty easy. Wow. And we got approved for it. I mean, that's a that's a story of Sam's tenure is somehow getting money and <laughs> being able to purchase things that we could not in the past. Well, yeah, because it's all about relationships, right? Like, I cultivated a very good relationship with our representative from the university who controlled our budget mm -hmm. and did so much as to like bring her a Christmas gift, like do things like that just to show, you know, we're appreciative of the work that you're doing for us. And in turn, she let us buy stuff that wasn't in the budget. So she let <laughs> us buy an iPad and she let us buy all this promotion material and you know, let us spend money that we weren't supposed to spend on certain things on the things that we wanted. Um, and so that's kind of how I got that going. And for what Syracuse is charging for tuition these days, let's take some of that money and spend it on JPZ. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Redistribute it. Redistribute it all. <laughs> the iPad was so funny because Cranin like tried to budget for an iPad the year before and they said no. And then I used his budget, funny enough, because... Once you submitted it, they just pretty much gave you a lump sum of money that you could use for whatever you wanted. So I went in a couple of weeks after I started and I said, hey, I think you want to buy an iPad. It'd be good for social media for the station. I was going to ask what you use the iPad for. OK. Yeah. And she was like, OK, sure. And I was like, really? Karen like complained for a couple months that he couldn't get an iPad. And I just walked in here and got an iPad. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we also used that iPad to launch texting, right? It sounds right. Five years goes by and you forget everything. You guys are so old. <laughs> it's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ 
relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. So Sam mentioned building relationships with folks. That's obviously a lesson that we all learned working at JPZ, whether you graduated in, you know, 78, 18 or, you know, 2002 in my case. What other lessons do you feel like the two of you learned from your time at JPZ that have served you well in your careers before we get into what you've been doing since? It's going to like relate to my current job, which is probably a good thing. It was all about the music industry. I mean, I've always, like I mentioned, been a pop music boy, but really understanding how everything worked on a professional level Mm -hmm. was really key for me. And figuring out how to like tap into these fandoms, the fandoms that I was a part of in 2012, 2013, I was now at Z figuring out, you know what? We're on the iHeartRadio app. We're not just a central New York radio station. I can get a harmonizer in New Jersey to listen to the station. So something that I did during the summer was create a countdown show on weeknights, uh, the top eight at nine. You know, it had to be done, Z89. I mean, there weren't a lot of people on the station over the summer. So I was logging into the Twitter account on my own and saying like, Hey, Fifth Harmony fans, want to get this song to the top of the chart on the top eight at nine? Vote in our poll. So I was really like modeling everything I was doing after the stations that I was listening to as a kid and bringing that to Z. And it's something that I've definitely kept going in my career now is tapping into fandoms and then giving them what they want in return. Like it's one thing to ask them to vote, but then if they don't make the countdown and you're making them listen to the whole thing, they're not going to be very happy. So it's a two-way street, and I feel like that's something I definitely learned. Experimenting, really, as PD. So you learned how to rig elections? Oh, it's all rigged. It's all rigged. I don't say that as an employee. I say that as a person. Yeah, I mean, that's like, you know, we did the top eight at nine. It was based on phone calls, Uh and you were basing it (laughs) off of Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is interesting in how you can leverage that. I, you know, I think uh, I had One Direction tickets to give away when I was on Channel 955 here in Detroit in 2011. I had front row seats. I said, okay, well, I'll give them away once you guys get hashtag Jag Show trending in the U.S. And they probably did it. Somebody called and said, uh, you're trending worldwide. Oh, okay. I guess it's time to give away those tickets. So if, if you look at my Twitter followers, thank you, Directioners, because that was, you know, the year before. The most powerful of them all. Do you say that as the manager of MTV's Instagram, the directioners are still most powerful? Who's most powerful now? Oh, it's the BTS army. I mean, it doesn't okay. even come close at this point. But at that point, directioners really set the bar. Let's segue there, Matt. Tell me about your career since. And you went viral on social for uh, getting into a bit of an argument with somebody uh, back in the day, if you're comfortable telling that story. Oh, yeah, of course. I always have really loved the Internet, loved uh, memes, loved seeing what goes viral and what doesn't. And I guess I've always had a little bit of a knack for it. In 2016, when there was, I don't know if you remember, there was like a heated presidential election going on. You don't say. In 2016? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of just continued ever since, if you ask me. <laughs> uh, but there was there was this woman, some people may remember her. Uh, if you're lucky, maybe you don't. Her name is Tommy Laren, and she was on Glenn Beck's uh, network, The Blaze, back then. Mm-hmm. Just going viral on, like, on a daily basis for ranting about Beyonce and just, like, pretty much any celebrity she had a problem with <laughs> from a political lens. And so for Halloween that year, at none other than the Hollow Zine party that I was hosting. Yes. 
I dressed up as Tommy Laren, did my first and worst drag look of them all. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and some people in the room knew who I was. I know Sam did not. <laughs> oh, I remember when he walked up to me and he was like, you like my costume? Do you know who I am? And I, I have no idea who the <laughs> FCR. <laughs> but enough but cool costume. Enough people did. Um, it got like 60,000 retweets or something and really like was my first little taste of viral fame. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say like you never know what's going to go viral and that's true. Yeah. But in that moment, I had a feeling. I had a feeling. And you had a little bit of a back and forth, didn't you? That's true. That's true. Ooh. Right in the feels. Yeah, I uh, I had kind of had a little bit of a tiff before that happened. I was just responding to all of her tweets and I was saying, you know, the scariest thing of all is if I dressed up as you for Halloween. Uh, <laughs> so that that's kind of what inspired it. But even after that, you know, I, she kind of just became my my Internet enemy. And I knew that she was a recent grad from college. I had all these friends doing Citrus TV and I was like, all of their content is on the Internet for perpetuity. So I was like, I don't think it'd be very hard to find all of Tommy Lahren's college uh, news videos. Oh. Found those like within 30 minutes and found that she was kind of a normal person back then. Uh, So had to publicize that. Somehow those clips wound up being on The View. Like (laughs) it was just a whole thing where she had to issue a statement and be like, you know, sometimes our our opinions change. (laughs) But it had been like two years. She just sold out. She sold out. But uh, thankfully, I don't have to see her that much these days. Well, and you've parlayed your knack for social media into a career. Tell me about your career path since Syracuse. Sure. So, you know, all of my love for music and fandom, it really wound up coming through in a career. So as I was graduating, I had been in touch with the social media director for TRL. Uh MTV had rebooted TRL. It was, you know, not the most exciting show, maybe not the best reboot, but they needed a social team. And there was a position open as I was graduating. And it was just kind of perfect timing, knowing the right person, being in the right place at the right time. So I joined MTV under the guise of the TRL reboot. Um, I was writing on their website, not something I had a lot of experience doing, but kind of just made it work. I wound up taking over the TRL Instagram, really like found my footing doing a professional Instagram account. And when the TRL reboot kind of uh, went away, they just invited my team to join the main MTV social media team. And at the end of 2019, they handed me the keys to the MTV Instagram And I've been doing it ever since and really having the best time engaging with fandoms, engaging with the types of people that I was in 2013. So two part question for you, Matt. One, what is it about Instagram in particular you like as opposed to other social platforms? And two, what is one thing you wish you could tell people that they don't understand about Instagram or social in general? Such good questions. I mean, I will always say as me, as Matt, Twitter will always be my number one, okay. even if it's uh, going through a rough patch these days. But Instagram is really where I think a brand has to be these days. Twitter is chaotic. Mm-hmm. And as much as I love like words, more people are into visuals. Yeah. And Instagram is where you can give that. Obviously, TikTok is important as well. But I'm kind of under the opinion, leave TikTok 
to the people. We need one thing that's just for us. Instagram is where every brand is. And it also has just like really great discoverability features. You know, I a few weeks ago posted a picture of four BTS members with Harry Styles. Mm -hmm. In the first day, it gets like 400,000 likes. That's pretty good for us, 400,000 yeah. likes. Okay. But because of Instagram's incessant suggesting posts to people, <laughs> that post is now at two and a half million likes. Wow. Because just every day it was getting another 100,000 likes. And I can look at the analytics on Instagram and see that that post has been liked mostly by people that didn't follow us in the first place. Really? That post has generated 30,000 new followers for our account. Wow. So being able to reach people that don't currently follow you is really what the key to Instagram is these days. Obviously, you have to appease the people that follow you for that post to gain traction in the first place. Hug your P1s. Hug your P1s. You never lose these lessons. But the discoverability, I, I think, is really important. In terms of, I guess, a misconception, um, I think that Instagram can be whatever works for you. Some people are like, oh my gosh, they've pivoted so hard to video. Yes, they have, but you don't have to pivot with them. Okay. There still are massive meme accounts that are just posting still images that are doing bonkers numbers. I think that really that's a lesson for any social platform is you just have to be good at the lane that you are choosing and you will find your people. I like it. It's great to hear the social media perspective from somebody who's involved with such a big brand as you are with MTV. Uh, Sam involved with a couple of pretty big brands herself in SNY and the Mets. You got to marry your passion for sports and your passion for video. Tell me about your journey since Syracuse. Yeah, so in Syracuse, I did a lot of internships and this is going to lead to how I got into sports, but um, I did an internship at a production company that did travel TV shows, and I quickly learned that I did not want to work in linear television, which is kind of ironic because I work for a TV network, but not on the linear side. And then I interned for Elvis Duran in the Morning Show, and that's where I kind of got my first taste of professional digital experience. Mm -hmm. And I loved that, but always had a, a passion for sports. And so when Matt and I did our semester in L.A., living and sleeping two feet apart from each other in twin beds. Just have to throw that out there. If you guys weren't close friends at that point, I mean, sharing a tiny apartment in L.A., we'll do it. And then we lived together after college and it was like, oh, my God, we get our own bedrooms now. This is the <laughs> life. I just still think it's impressive that neither one of us has seen each other in an inopportune state. <laughs> if you get my uh, get my picking up what you're putting down. Um, and so we went out to L.A., and I had actually accepted an internship position, which Matt reminded me of last night, at a production company. And at that time, about a couple of days later, I got an interview for Fox Sports. Mm -hmm. And I sat there and I looked at it and I was like, well, I have to go for it. I mean, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life if I don't try to pursue this internship. And at Newhouse, they actually offered a Fox Sports University class, which is where I networked with women that worked at Fox Sports. And so they kind of helped me get my foot in the door there. Uh -huh. And to make a long story short, I rescinded my offer to join this other company and ended up landing the Fox Sports gig. And for what it's worth, I'm sorry to jump in. Go ahead. I had my internship offer rescinded. That's its own story. But Sam and I both had a lot of internship chaos in LA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I ended up, you know, putting all my eggs in the Fox basket, got it. 
and worked in their owned and operating department doing videos for both their website and their YouTube pages. And that's when I really knew that that's what I wanted to do. They were great. They let me get experience doing graphics uh, on digital. They let me get YouTube experience. I worked with, ironically, the agency that Matt ended up interning for was the agency that we used for all of our YouTube publications. So I was messaging people at his company to get our posts up and to get our thumbnails and things like that. So fast forward to graduation and I was looking for a job, really just wanted to get something because, you know, Matt, lucky for him, had his job for graduation, but I did not have a job when I graduated. Matt was one of the unicorns. Yeah. Yes. I was that statistic that they mentioned at graduation that was like, parents, don't freak out. Your kids will find a job. And so I ended up at iHeart first off, Mm -hmm. mostly because I got an interview. They offered it to me in two weeks and it was a video editing position I said, sure, I'll take it. Why not? Get my foot in the door. Fast forward a year and a half later, uh, wasn't really what I thought it was going to be. I wasn't doing as much video editing as I thought. I I pivoted it more towards a social analytics job, uh, mostly because I I didn't have things to work on. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll be helpful in in analytics. Mm -hmm. And I was always a math person. And so this job at SNY pops up and I reached out to my old boss at Fox who is now working at NBC and SNY is partially owned by NBC. And so he coached me through the entire process, put my name through. Every time I sent him my interview questions, he like sent me paragraphs back of like what to say. Great. And so I end up landing the job the Friday before banquet. Funny enough, I get the phone call that I got the job and I took it. Went to banquet, couldn't tell anyone I got the job. What year is this? This is 2020. Oh, so right before the other stuff. Yeah. So... Banquet happens. I keep quiet. I spoke on like a, a panel about like getting your first job and I'd sit there and not tell people how I got my second job. <laughs> um, Monday, I quit my job. Thursday, the world shuts down. Right. So I go into a world of sports where there is no sports. Right. And so I remember like my new boss, you know, didn't know what the protocol was. He was like, do we meet for coffee? Are we allowed to see each other? Um, thankfully they didn't rescind that job offer. (laughs) Um, so I still got to start and my job became ever more important because the only thing we could make at that time was digital content. Yeah. And we had to get creative because there were no sports on TV. And so we were creating, you know, talk shows from home and using zoom and editing people into boxes. And now that seems so like obvious, but at the time, you know, people were creating that, like that wasn't a thing that wasn't how video was made. People shot things in person. Right. That's how I started at SNY. It was really a lot of innovating. Like we, we started doing MLB, the show streams of what would have been the Mets games for that day. We simulated the whole season before the season started. Um, I worked on like a series called Bet You Don't Know, where I did research on different athletes and put together short videos about them. And it's evolved three years later, um, got promoted. And yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Give me a, a taste of some of the content you're doing now, now that the world is mostly back to normal. Yeah. So I've done a lot. I mean, SNY is a company where you definitely get your toes wet in a lot of different things because our video team was only two producers, a head of a department and a graphics person. Mm-hmm. So I've done everything from, you know, I did a shoot with Edwin Diaz, the closer for the Mets. I did a shoot with Francisco Lindor. Um, Edwin Diaz was the first shoot I did in person. 
Mm-hmm. two years later after I started the job <laughs> um, and he was delightful and so much fun. And so we did like a quick 45 minute interview of all different topics and then went out to the field and shot him. You know, it was his first time in the stands. Funny enough, he was like, I've never actually stood out here. And I was like, really? <laughs> and so we got to walk around the stands, go on the dugout with him. Super nice guy. So I've done stuff like that. I just launched a new live show called Mets Off Day Live. Um, which is a show that is exactly how it sounds. It's for people to watch when the Mets aren't playing. So it gives them something to view when they can't view a baseball game. So that was an idea that I pitched, conceptualized, to work with my buddy Danny, who's a great graphics guy, to come up with the logo. And then we launched that last week. So that was really exciting. I'm a viewer. It was fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> are you doing the interviewing or are you doing the behind the scenes shooting and all that or both? Um, behind the scenes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't ever want to be in front of a camera. I've been asked a handful of times. I was on one show. I had to ask a fan question. Okay. And it took me like five takes and I was super awkward and uncomfortable. And the comments actually on the YouTube video were like, this is so obviously scripted. And I was like, yeah, because I'm bad at it. <laughs> so I'm much more in better at doing rundowns and editing and producing and getting the most out of talent, which is what I learned at JPZ, right? Like when I was GM, we had an exec staff of X amount of people and my job was to get the most out of them. Yeah. And so what I ended up doing there was having one-on-one meetings with them every month and asking them, you know, what do you want to get out of this? What are you interested in? And then letting them pursue that or giving them the resources to pursue that. And that's what I do at work, you know, is work with talent and say, you know, what kind of content do you want to make? What are your strengths and how can we put those in front of people so that we make good content? Um, And it all started at WJPZ. Very briefly, I know we're getting short on time here, but let me ask you what your perspective is on the changes in baseball and the changes of the rules in the faster paced game. Has it been a good thing? What's your perspective as somebody who works in it every day? Well, as someone that cuts highlights for games, it's great because there's... (laughs) There's less uh, dead time to just sit around and wait for games to end. I think it's a good move if it's for the right reasons, right? Like if speeding up the game is for fan experience, sure. But if it speeds it up too much and, you know, people who are going to the games don't get to enjoy the games. And Mm -hmm. I know there's like issues right now where they're extending alcohol past the seventh inning and that can get a little dangerous if people are driving home. Sure. So that's where I draw concern. But in terms of from a viewership, I don't notice the pitch clock. I think games are just more fun because there's less dead time. Mm-hmm. I think more stolen bases are great. I hated the shift. I thought it was like playing a video game where you're putting your character in the wrong position <laughs> on purpose because you know you're going to win. Yeah. And even just last night, I was working the, the Mets-Dodgers game. I don't know when this will go out, but the Dodgers game on uh, April 17th. And just watching the defense in that game. I mean, watching Francisco Lindor move around a diamond and watching like Jeff McNeil make these spectacular, like it's awesome. And it's because the shift is gone and you get to see like these athletes, true athleticism because they're not quote unquote cheating in my opinion. Um, So I'm a fan of it. Fair enough. Sam, I also want to ask you, you are our banquet chairwoman and you did a fantastic job in helping me get what I needed to do the videos for the Hall of Fame stuff this year. Tell me how your first year was in that role and and how everything went from your perspective. Yeah. So that's funny, too, because that transition was supposed to happen kind of after the 2020 banquet. And of course, we know what happened after that. Right. Um, So Eileen was a trooper and stayed on for an extra two years when she didn't have to. Um, shepherded us through the virtual banquet, 
through 2021. And then, yeah, 2023 was my first year doing it alone. Well, not alone, with the committee. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun. You know, like I said, I'm a logistics person. I am the daughter of an event planner. <laughs> so both of my parents obviously have gotten me both a legal director job and event planner job. Um, and so I've set up events since I was, you know, 15 years old, set up bar and bat mitzvahs, sweet 16s. Yeah. Truly my favorite part of the banquet was going three hours before and like setting everything up because that's where I felt most at home. Um, because I've done it probably six to 700 times. So it was a lot of fun. It's, it's just a lot of emails. I mean, <laughs> it's a lot of emails and just keeping your ducks in a row and knowing that if you do enough prep work, the weekend itself will just cruise control. And that's what I did. And thankfully, you know, I had Ariel to help me and Kyle left was a huge help and Matt kept me sane. <laughs> but it's it's a lot of fun and it's great to see it all pay off that everyone was so happy with it and everyone had a great time and if the worst part is that we're locked out of a room for 15 minutes, I'll take it as a win. Absolutely. And so great job. And thank you for all your hard work with that. I know you two and great show prep tradition mentioned earlier that you talked last night before coming on today. Any funny stories from your time that you feel comfortable sharing? Matt's already looking down at his desk of uh, anything you're comfortable sharing. You guys have been really good friends for a long time. Anything from your time at the station, your time at Syracuse that you feel comfortable sharing is a funny story. I think we have to go to the wedding, right? Yeah. Definitely the wedding. You know, we pulled a lot of antics on there a lot of times. There was, uh, we got into like a multi-zoo episode debate about whether DiGiorno really is delivery. You can ask us about that <laughs> later. Uh, but the most iconic thing, if you could say that about yourself, is uh, we got married on air. Uh, like we really, we really did get married on air. It was for Valentine's Day 20... 18. 18. I think we got this idea like a week in advance. Oh, wow. We got the idea because Ethan Charlotte became an ordained minister. Oh, my God. I forget why. Maybe he was like an officiant for a wedding or something or other. And that's what sparked the idea in one of us of like, why don't we get married on Valentine's Day? Our zoo's on a Wednesday and Valentine's Day is on a Wednesday. So why don't we do it? And everyone was already calling us mom and dad like it was time to seal the deal. Um, and in true, uh, you know, digital radio station fashion, we live streamed the whole thing on, I believe, Facebook. Yes. And, uh, somehow made it work where we were, you know, live streaming on Facebook and then cutting all the clips and getting them on air in record time. Oh, wow. It was really fun. We had vows. Our vows were the same Fifth Harmony lyrics about. <laughs> <laughs> Baby, you're worth it. <laughs> Give it to me, I'm worth it. Baby, I'm worth it. Uh-huh, I'm worth it. Gimme, gimme, I'm worth it. Oh, Matt. A wise pop group once said, give it to me, I'm worth it. <laughs> so, Matt, <laughs> we did not look at these ahead of time. It's true, Give it to me, I'm worth it. I'm worth it. There was no coordination in advance, but we said great. the same thing. So it was really fun. Um, we did annul the marriage very quickly. Yeah. Okay. So are you? So you're not technically divorcees because you had it annulled. You didn't have to get a divorce. Exactly. That was the only way Sam's family was going to be okay with it. <laughs> My mom's still so mad about the wedding. She's like, I can't believe you did that. Um, but honestly, the wedding itself was great. But the logistics that we put together. I mean, like Matt said, we we announced that we were getting married. 
in the studio. Then we went out, live streamed it. As we live streamed it, we had a microphone that was hooked up to an audio recorder that recorded all of our vows as we did it on the live stream, brought that audio back into audition, cut it into four different segments, and then put those segments out on the air. And so we, we planned this entire thing. Where was the wedding? In the newsroom. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> and we wore Z89 shirts. I cut an extra large shirt like into a dress. Oh my God. And we had ring pop uh, rings. I mean, it was a whole production and it was so much fun. I need that audio too. And we've really learned what to do in our careers now when you don't get a budget and you have to do something on short notice. That is a great place to leave it with yet another lesson learned from the world's greatest media classroom. Matt Garrick, Sam Kandel, class of 2018. It's amazing to see how many great friendships have formed at the radio station, whether you're talking about Dan Austin and Jeff Wade, you're talking about uh, TJ Basala and Kevin Rich. You guys are right up there in the same vein as, as people that have become very close friends just by happenstance being on the same floor on Bowling 8 when you were freshmen. And it's great to see that you guys are so close now and still practically finish each other's sentences. <laughs> and uh, I'm so glad I was able to have you both on together. Uh, thank you both for everything you've done and continue to do for the radio station. I remember when I walked in when you were both running the radio station, just being so impressed as an alum by both of you when I walked into the station. So thank you for spending some time with us today. Sure. Thank you. And thank you for everything this podcast has done. And Sam obviously did a fantastic job on Banquet, but it wasn't complete without the podcast. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you, Jag. Without you, our numbers would not be nearly as high as they were. So take that plaque and take a pat on the back. I appreciate that. Thank you. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.